Good? Okay. We are almost uh, all the way through. You know, this is a pretty easy series to track where we're at in it <laughs> by, by the number of commandments that we're on. So today we're on the ninth commandment. And the ninth commandment is very good. My commandment is, <laughs> thou shalt not ask questions rhetorically. Um, thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. Really interesting commandment. Um, some of you, if you grew up around church, uh, maybe learn this as don't lie. Thou shalt not lie. And, and that's probably not the most nuanced way to think of this. In fact, <laughs> hot take, this is a sermon for another time, but I actually think the scriptures have a very uh, nuanced view of lying um, and, and the idea of like the, the truth is, anyway, that's a whole other subject for another time. But, um, but you shall not bear false witness against your neighbors, doing something very specific. First of all, it's language that would have most resonated in, in the courtroom. Right? A witness, where do we, where do we bear witness? Um, even, even today in civil society is, is in a courtroom. And so this, this is, uh, to the original audience, the, the first context that they would have thought of, though, though not the sole one, certainly, would have been that this is talking about the need for when someone is called in a, in a civil or criminal suit um, to bear witness to what they have observed and, and what they believe to be true in a situation that they do that with integrity, that they do that truly, and that they not, the literal language in, in, in the original language here, the literal language is, um, you shall not answer falsely against your neighbor. And so this is specifically knowingly, inaccurately sharing something that would disadvantage your neighbor. It's really what we're talking about here. Fascinating uh, about the Ten Commandments. We've said this in a couple different ways, but most scholars would say that there's some kind of relationship between the first five and, and the second five. That the first five seem very focused on our relationship to God, how we interact with God, um, even, even the fifth one being about parents, how we interact with authority, and then the second one is much more horizontal in its focus. It's much more focused on how we treat each other. Right? Some, some people would say the first five are love God, the second five are love others. I wouldn't put too fine a point on that, but there is something to that. And, and what we've seen in, in these second five is that all of them particularly in how we talked about last week, this idea of um, how, we, how we handle finances, thou shalt not steal, is, is that all of them have this idea of stewardship to them, if you think about it. That um, whether it's, you know, thou shalt not commit adultery or, you know, thou shalt not steal, um, all of these, what they have in common is a sense of we have been given responsibility in this world by God, and we have been given enormous power and authority through the giving of, right? Last week, we said that the idea that human beings were made to own and possess and have dominion over certain things is right there in God's good design for creation, 
The fact that human beings are made with sexuality and made with relationship and all these things is a part of, of God's good design for creation. It's how we actually then steward that. It's how we approach that that makes all the difference. And that's really what all of these commandments in the second half have in common. And so how does that relate to thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor? I mean, is there anything more uniquely remarkable about human beings as bearers of the image of God than our ability to communicate? Like the fact that we can speak and express ourselves, not just in a sort of, uh, not even just in sort of a direct, you know, logical way, but that we can express deeper parts of who we are and that there's poetry and music in the world. And think, think of how remarkable it is that we, we speak. And what we've said about what it means to be made in the image of God in this church in, in a hundred different ways in sermons and, and decourses and stuff is that there is this sense in which we represent God in the world and, and we're to be and to do who God would be and what he would do. And what what we know from literally his very first appearance in the biblical story is that God is a speaking God. This is how he creates the world. From the first moment of the biblical story, we get a sense of how powerful speech can be. How powerful the word spoken can be. And when that's done by, by God himself, galaxies are created. And so, yeah, there's a, there's a step down for sure to his image bearers, but let's not make that distance so far that we ourselves also don't tremble at the enormous power that we have as those who are able to speak and bear witness and communicate and interact with one another. I think that that's why this is here in the second half is it's, is it's building on this theme of what has God put into the hands of human beings that we are so prone to misuse, not in spite of the power of what's been put in our hands, but precisely because of the power of what's been put in our hands. And he says, be careful not to misuse those in ways that destroy Jesus himself meditates on, on the power of words and how much they set the course of our lives. Listen to this passage in Matthew chapter 12. These are the words of Jesus. Scrolly Bible. It's back, baby. This is Jesus um, talking to the Pharisees, and, and he's sort of in a posture of rebuke as he says this. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit, you brood of vipers. That's quite a, quite a diss, you know? You brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, People will give account for every careless word they speak. 
For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. (laughs) Very sobering. One of the things that Jesus is saying here is that there is this, I almost want you to envision it, that there is this direct link between our deepest motivations, desires, passions, allegiances, and, our, and what we speak. That, that the distance from our hearts to our words is, is not that far. And he's saying, in fact, that there may be no truer, more accurate revealer of who we are at our deepest core than a transcript of our words in any given day, week, year, lifetime. And he's saying so much so that one of the ways to understand how he will determine those who belong to him and those who never knew him, at least according to this text, is he's saying, bring me the transcript of their words, of what they've said. God calling. That's conviction is what that is. Um, James, uh, who is commonly regarded to be the the brother of Jesus, the book of James, uh, we went through it a couple years ago, but largely what James is doing in that book is he's he's kind of meditating on his brother's teaching and and landing it in the life of of this sort of fledgling Christian community that's being built particularly in the, in the church in Jerusalem. And so one of the things that, that most scholars note is just how much overlap there is between direct teachings of Jesus that we have recorded and then how James kind of builds out the themes of his book. And, and it's almost certainly the passage that I just read that, um, that James is meditating on here in James 3, the, the passage that Tony Uhouse read for us. So why don't we go ahead and, and put up that James passage. Okay, so we start with with this. Um, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Here's, Here's the principle that he's getting at. Is he saying, if the nature of your work, if the nature of your responsibilities is communication, is words, You should be even more sobered by the power of words that I'm about to talk about. In other words, the general principle is that if quantity of words increase, the carefulness with which we steward those words also needs to increase. And while this at least applies to those like myself who who teach, who communicate God's truth, I think that there's a deeper principle here that where I I think in general, just about any situation in which your authority over another uh, is is significant, and and the more significant, I suppose, is is really the principle, the more significant that authority over another person is, the greater weight your words hold. This is why uh, the words of of a passing stranger don't sting like the words of a parent. This is why an anonymous insult on a social media post doesn't wound 
like the, like the whisper of a spouse. Because in those relationships, there is such significant investment. There is such significant, right? In a, in a marriage, there is, there is mutual submission there. There is authority over one for another. My body, um, I need to treat like yours. And so, and so you think of how significant that is. One of the things that I say in almost every wedding that, I ever do, uh, that I've ever officiated over is I turn to the two of them and I say to the bride and to the groom, your words will from here forward have a power over your spouse unlike anyone else's words. Parents, we need to hear this. Our words in our children's lives, the tone of our words, matter about as much as anything in who they will develop and understand themselves to be. Not many of us should unthinkingly, thoughtlessly put ourselves in such relationships without carefully tending to our words. That's what James is saying here. For we all stumble in many ways. That's a nice, like, <laughs> that's a nice, you know, sort of, okay, exhale for us, right? But actually, he's, he's just going to say, look, as many of us as there are in here, we all have different kinds of struggles. But he says that in order to say the next thing. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. In other words, we all have all different kinds of struggles represented in this room. We all struggle with this, though. You know what's common? Is our words can feel like our worst enemy. He says, because if, if you found someone who has fully tamed their tongue, who never says a word unfitly spoken, who never responds with a biting word, out of frustration, anger, hunger, whatever, right? Oh, you found someone. Now, the word is perfect here, and we hear that as, as morally flawless. Really, what's being talked about here is maturity. When, when James uses this word, he's talking about someone who has, who has come into full maturity. He says, you want to see maturity? Find someone whose words are carefully guarded. Find someone whose words bring life. He's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. In other words, and the images that, that he's going to get at here are the, the tongue is a wild beast. And if you can somehow tame that puppy, the rest, the rest is no problem, is what he's going to say. Listen, listen to what he says from here. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. How many of you are, are uh, equestrians? How many of you ride horses with some regularity? Lean in the back. Ellen, where Ellen? Uh, Ellen was going to be... I'm just going to look at Ellen the whole time that I talk about this. Um, Ellen, Ellen is, a, is a PhD student, and, and her work is with horses um, and, and the biomechanics and how they interact with you. Fascinating. Um, so, so Ellen, if you listen to this, send me an email and tell me that uh, what I said wasn't crazy. But I'm pretty sure a horse is like um, somewhere between like 500 and 2,000 pounds, depending on a huge beast, right? How many of you have been on a horse? What in the world? 
Really? Okay. I've literally never been so surprised standing up here. What? You are in New Jersey, right? Um, actually, I guess that, that makes sense, because I've been on a horse. And if I've been on a horse, that makes sense that 80% of y'all have been on a horse. Um, why have I been on a horse? I've been on a horse like twice, right? Like probably when we go down to Texas. Um, and, and it is wild. And the thing that makes getting on a horse wild is you are so unbelievably aware of how much stronger this thing is than you, right? Like you are, like you can feel, you can feel the power that's suddenly underneath you. And yet, what this is saying is, right, just a little, right? Like the first thing that they tell you is like, tug this way and the horse will go that way. Tug this way and the, because it's trying to relieve the stretch from the bit in its mouth. And so it kind of goes that way, right? Like that's what you would naturally do. But what you're told is you don't have to pull that hard. Like, don't, you, it's not like, like you see in the Westerns, you feel like you have to be like, hey, hey, you know, and it's like, it's just a little, it's like a little gentle bit of pressure. And this giant thousand pound beast obeys the will of this puny little human being on top of it, right? And it's wild to the point where kids can do this, right? Like kids are not scared. Kids are like, yeah, so what? It's a pony. Let's do this, right? Like, and but they can control it. The, the other analogy that he's using here are ships. And I don't know if you've ever been on like, a, like an ocean liner or a cruise ship. I won't ask for hands on this one. Um, but it is wild. It is wi- if, if you're ever on a boat like that and you can get a vantage point and just see what the power that's coming out of the back of that ship in order to launch it forward, right? Like if you've ever seen, if you've ever been uh, at a shipyard or whatever, and they kind of lift the boat out of the water and you see these giant propellers and uh, Dre and I went to, uh, what kind of ship was it, Dre? Yeah, Battleship, um, the one down in, where is it, Camden, right? Um, and, uh, and you get to go down into, you get to get, only go so far into the engine room and you see like this unbelievable heft that's, I'm sure it's like cutting edge, tech, probably not the one that we were at, but cutting edge technology when these things are made. And yet, when the captain does this or this, it's not something that's the entire size of the ship or three times the size of the ship. It's, it's, it's you know, maybe the size of this middle section that turns. And it's that turning that either sends the ship, you know, out of New York City to Iceland or... South Africa, right? That, that's how much directional power that small thing has. That's the analogy he's using. He's saying this thing, so small, <laughs> so relatively, right? Like what, can a, what, what power should such a, such a small part of us have? He says, yet it's like, a, it's like a bit. You just gently tug on it. One word unfitly spoken. A rudder that moves. And depending on what you said in that moment where everything was hanging on, are you going to say the right thing, respond the right way? It can send you in two very different directions in life. He's saying the tongue has a directional power to it. It has a directional power to it that so much of our lives will be determined by how we do or do not tame this thing, where we turn it, 
how we use it. And he's saying it's so closely related to here. That's part of why it matters. But words are also, this is what he's about to get to now. Go to the, the next one. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by you, right? Like, what is he even saying here? He's saying that individuals have been destroyed by the fire of another's words. People groups have been obliterated by the words of someone. Relationships, marriages, parent-child relationships have ended because of the blazing fire that the tongue can so often be. And rather than, than emphasizing, right, normally we say, the thou shalt nots are the boundaries, and then there's a game to be played, and, and we'll get to that. I think that what we see in the Ten Commandments, what we see in the teaching of Jesus, what we see in James's meditation here on the teaching of Jesus is, I just don't know that we can be warned enough about the damage that our words can do. I just don't know that we can be, ever be too careful with what we say. Because he says that our words are, are a fire. They're a blazing fire. And that fire can be lit. That spark can be lit by the enemy himself, right? By the way, do you know what another name that the scriptures give to Satan is? He is the father of lies, right? He's the father of words that destroy. That we are in concert with the enemy's purposes when we do not tend to the blazing fire that we have at our ready. Right? Like, what matters most about a fire in terms of its outcome is where it is, is how it's used. A fire in a fireplace can warm a house and be a wonderful, lovely thing, right? We've used this of other things, namely sex and sexuality, right? Like, a fire where it belongs is a beautiful, good, capital G thing. A fire on your living room floor will destroy your life. That's what this is saying. It's a fire. It says how, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. This made me think of, uh, I remember hearing this when, um, I'm laughing not because of how serious what I'm about to say is. I'm laughing because this could be totally apocryphal, but man, does it preach. Um, remember the forest fires out west, right? Like gravely serious things. Some of you probably had family who were deeply impacted that. But a story came out eventually in the midst of that, that they ultimately tracked one of the biggest blazes out, out west, um, two of all things. Does anybody know? Does anybody know? Oh, so this might be a thing. Or just the internet is what the internet is. Um, I read someone who said, the internet that social media is built to help us disobey the ninth commandment. What? Right? Um, two on that. That has nothing to do with my analogy, but... Um, just made me think of, we probably all heard this on social media. But it was, it was a gender reveal party. 
and they, right? I had never heard of a gender reveal until I came to this church um, really early on. And a couple who were one of the best people in the core group of this church were like, come to our gender reveal. And all of us Northeast people were like, uh, what? Like, this was what, like 15 you know, years ago or whatever. And it was like, gender reveal, okay. Now it's a thing. Um, but apparently this couple went out and they had to tell the whole world whether it was a boy or girl and, and they shot off fireworks and that was the spark. Boom. And then all this destruction, right? Which by the way, if I were to sort of stretch the analogy a little bit, it can even be without intent that we set a forest ablaze without realizing it because we just didn't think of the potential consequences of what we're doing. We just thought of ourselves, right? And what we wanted to do in that moment anyway. Um, maybe, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but that's what he's saying here. He's saying that words are, are like a match struck. And if that match falls, right, like th- this, is, this is part of the reality, is that so often our words, we think we're speaking our words and it's without consequence and we're actually speaking it into really dry land, into really arid circumstances in someone else's life, right? We put someone down at work and have no context for what that person has been through. We say to our kids, you always, we have no idea where their hearts are at and how they've been struggling against the thing that we're now throwing in their face, right? And we think we can just fire away, fire away, fire away. No big deal, they'll get over it. So what? I was right when I said it. This is actually why I think it's somewhat important that the commandment isn't just a simple don't lie. Because, uh, forgive me for the thing about lying being nuanced in the scriptures. I know you're all bothered by that. But here's, here's what I am willing to say. That scriptures don't say that always speaking the truth is always the right move. It says, no, 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 no. Maturity in Christian community is we speak the truth, what? In love. And by the way, that sometimes means shutting our mouths. In our, in our uh, emotional discipleship curriculum that we use in D-Course, one of, the, one of the great little insights that Pete and Jerry Scazzaro have is they say, when it comes to trying to figure out if I need to say something, a good series of questions to ask is, does this really need to be said? Or am I just trying to be right in this situation? Does this need to be said by me? Am I the one with responsibility to say this? Does this need to be said right now? Is now the best time for this to be heard? Then how should I communicate this? How many of us ask anything before we just fire away? And say, well, it was true. Well, it was true. And they needed to hear it. What they're getting at is, that's, that's not love. Love steps back and asks those questions. And you know what? Many times the answer to all those will be yes, 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 yeah. I need to say this, right? Because actually, let me say the other side of this. One of, I think, the ways to disobey this commandment is through cowardly silence. Because to say, don't bear false witness against your neighbor is to assume that if you've got something that will actually save your neighbor, if you've got something that would actually exonerate them in the courtroom, speak up. And so the, 
what, what I don't think this commandment is saying, what I don't think Jesus is saying, what I don't think James is saying is that actually the life of faith should be lived silent, wordless, right? In the same way that the solution isn't let's do away with money and possessions, let's do away with sex and sexuality, let's do away with relationships. No, no, no. These have been given to us to steward. Because here's the reality. Like every other commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. That's the starting point. And we need to be told again and again just how much power is in our words. But that power, like every good thing that God has given us, was always meant to be leveraged for the good of others, for love itself. What is love if not the, the expression of, the consistent words over time to another of love and appreciation and of understanding and of seeking to resolve conflict. All of these things only happen through words. And so that's part of what's being gotten at here. There's a time to speak and a time to be silent. So much of the course of life is, is to figure out when is when, right? When is the time for courageous speech? And when is the time for wise silence? Because I think, I think that in that discernment comes true obedience to why this commandment would even show up in this passage. Go to the next couple verses there. Every kind of beast and bird, reptile, sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, which I love. It's like clearly hadn't discovered like whales yet, right? Um, although they're tamed in the new, you know, Wakanda forever, right? Like, yeah, people just out here casually riding whales. Um, so maybe he was looking forward to that. But, right, like he's making a point here. But no human being can tame the tongue, right? He's like, He's how I always think of this. I'm not a dog person, so forgive me. That'll probably be the most controversial thing I say to some of you. But like, I'm like, yo, dogs are wolves, right? And most of us, when we hear wolves and we're camping, are like, oh, no, we should probably go. Then there's some of you who are like, no, they should come inside and lick our children's faces, right? Like, I don't get, that's like, that's a little tongue-in-cheek, but it's like a little real, too. Like, I don't fully get the wolves in your house thing. If you ever invite me over, you'll know why I get a little, I'm like, there's a wolf. Um, anyway. But we've done that, right? Like, we figured that out. People ride elephants and stuff, right? And it's like, and yet we can't tame this. We can't say sit and this will sit. We can't say silent and this will be silent, right? That's what it's saying. It's just continuing to get, it is a restless evil, full of deadly poison, there's an old translation that says, full of death-dealing poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. That preaches itself, doesn't it? How can we come on a Sunday, hands lifted high, God, you're everything. God, you matter most to me. God, you're, you're more important than anything in the world, and then literally leave here and curse out someone who he has made to image and represent him in the world. That's what this is saying. That ought not be so. 
There is nothing that will so quickly reveal your fog, right? Like, this is why I think the power of take out the transcript is so powerful. Because some of you come here and you say all the right things on a Sunday. You got all the right lines. You got all the little Christian-y things to say to other people. And then all of a sudden, jump to the next paragraph, and it's like, same person? Is this a different? I think, I think you handed me the wrong transcript, right? Nothing will reveal our hypocrisy quicker than our words. Right? Archbishop Tim Keller, ding, there's your bingo. Um, I mentioned him. Uh, he, he would say there would be nothing so terrifying for any of us than to have a tape recorder strapped around our necks and recorded all week and then played on Sunday. From the same mouth, next verse, come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Okay, so um, this has been heavy, right? This is, there's not a lot of encouragement here. So what gives? You have to remember, that the key thing here, you have to remember is, is the connection that the scriptures are constantly making between our, our mouths, between our words and our hearts, okay? Between our mouths and our hearts, right? Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This is, this is, this is where the good news comes in. Listen to this. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Okay, so, so on the face, what he's talking about here is like, yeah, th- that shouldn't be the case. It just doesn't make sense. There's a much deeper level here that I think literally gets us into the gospel truth of, of what this is talking about. How do you change your words You gotta change your heart first. There's no self-disciplined way to manage something that is so untamable. But if out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks, it is as the heart is being transformed that things begin to spring up that couldn't otherwise by sheer effort of taming this. In other words, the awareness of how untamable our words are ought to rightly send us to our knees and say, God, without you, I can't possibly change this because here's what this is saying you need. It's saying you need to go from a saltwater spring to a freshwater spring. Do you know how you do that? There's no way to do that other than a miracle, other than the nature of the water itself being transformed. This is talking about our nature, our truest self, what the source of all of this stuff is. And it's saying, when all that we see is death-dealing poison, the source is wrong. What you need is to become a new kind of person. This is why the gospel is cheapened when it's made into moral instruction. Because I could talk all day long about how much we need to 
watch our words, how much we need to obey the Ten Commandments. It will never work if you don't become a different kind of person with a different kind of source. The awareness of the untamability of our words sends us to our knees and makes us cry out and say, God, I need to be totally made new. And the gospel is nothing less than that. And if it is less than that, it's been cheapened to the point of being unrecognizable because the gospel says you go from spiritual death to spiritual life. You go from salt water to fresh water. You go from, what is it, like a fig to a, to a grapevine, whatever order that that's in, right? That's talking, the essential thing here is nature. What's the nature of these things? Now, here's the reality. You say, okay, but I have been made new by Jesus. And I still find that the words that I use can be so biting. One, are you more aware of that? Do you feel that check in you? That's that spring, that source, and you're going, yeah, we don't do that anymore. It's not who we are anymore. Does it frustrate you now when you say that word? Do you feel the impact on others and you can't walk away from it because it bothers you that you know that you just set something aflame? Yeah, that's because there's a different source in you. And here's the reality. It says, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's going to take a while. That takes some change and transformation, right? But here's what the gospel also doesn't say. You click your fingers and overnight you're a totally different person. Anybody bear witness to that? Anybody out here? Anybody out? No, 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 right? This is all progressive over time. This is happening. And so here's the amazing thing. When we see fresh water pop out, you go, whoa, where did that come from? Right, because the idea here is that our mouths would go from death-dealing poison to life-giving balms in the lives of those around us that it would go from a blazing fire that, that sets aflame the course of life to a life-giving spring that puts out fires around us. And that can only happen progressively over time, and yet when we see it happening, and this happens in our community. Some of you have gone from curmudgeonly, biting, sarcastic people the people who sit here every Sunday and say, I think I mean what I say when I worship. And your spouse sees this change in you. And your kids see this change in you. And you go, where is this coming from? It's coming from the only one who could take us from spiritual death to spiritual life. Your nature's changing. We've got to enjoy that more, Jacob Swell. Right? Like some of, some of you feel so desperate for this that you need to bow the knee and give your life to Jesus. Like today. Because you've got no hope other than that. And I want to invite you to do that this morning, even as we consider communion. That you would bow the knee and say, I'm a saltwater spring. I know it. I know it all around me is evidence of that. But I can't change it. I've tried on my own. But some of you, most of you, I dare say, you guys are followers of Jesus. And I want to tell you that you should feel profound conviction over what James is saying here. But even that conviction you're, you're feeling bears witness to a new thing going on in you. And so much of the Christian life, we say this in discipleship course, is just becoming who you actually are. When salt water comes out of you, you don't need to say what the enemy, what the father of lies wants to say is, yeah, that's because that's who you still are. You rebuke that with gospel truth and say, no, the reason this bothers me is because this is not who I am anymore. 
And when the good stuff comes out, you go, that's impossible apart from something new going on in me. Praise God that there's a new thing, that there's a new source, that there's a new nature taking hold in me. You've got to enjoy that more. You've got to notice those. We're so prone to believe the father of lies who says, this is who you are and this is who you've always been. And oh, if I could just show you yourself five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you'd say, oh, I'm not who I was. Oh, wow. Even if, even if sometimes externally I look the same, what that feels like inside because I'm so much more desperate for the things of God. I'm so much more desperate that I would be an encourager, that I would bring life to other people, that I would speak truth over people. And sometimes I'm just not courageous enough to do it, but I, but I feel that compulsion in me. I see things that ought not be in my community and in my workplace and in relationships around me, and there's something in me. It, it's like something uh, coming up in me that says, I gotta say something, and maybe I haven't done it yet, but where's that coming from? It's coming from a new source. And all that your heart's trying to do is saying, I'm just trying to overflow into who God is remaking you to be. There are so many words in the world right now. Right? In some ways there, I, I would have, I don't know. Um, I have no scientific, but how could this not be true? that more words are sent out into the world on any given day today than at any other time in human history. And so many of them are thoughtless. And so many of them are bearing false witness against a neighbor in order to destroy. What would it look like if the people of God said, there's a new thing going on in our midst. And so we will actually speak courageously. We'll speak life. We'll actually be silent when we need to be. And we'll show the world what it looks like for the wildfires of our culture to be slowly but surely extinguished by the goodness, by the fresh water, by the living water flowing from us in Jesus' name. Here's how I would land this for you. I want you to think about this last week. Before you come to this table, I want you to think about this last week. I just want you to think in two categories. Is there anything that you said to someone that you might need to go back, right? Because here's the beautiful thing, right? Like Jesus does give us a whatever the analogy would be, right? He gives us a fire extinguisher, <laughs> right? He gives us a second chance. We're, we're, we're a community of second chance, which means that a word sent out can be extinguished through repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation. And so I want you to think about, is there anything that you said this week that maybe set ablaze something that maybe you now feel responsible? You, you need to go put some water on that fire. And then the second thing, is there anything you should have said that you didn't? Anything that you withheld? Right, I, I shared this uh, a, a while back. Um, but I just saw this post and it like implanted itself in my mind where someone said, I'm doing this new thing where when I think something good about someone else, I just tell them. I just text them. I just say it the next opportunity that I can. They're like, it's been revolutionary. Like, people want to be around me, right? Like, you kind of want to be around that person, right? And yet we withhold that stuff. Remember that whole conversation? We withhold out of our own cowardice. We withhold out of our own sense of, is this person going to be like, I haven't heard from you in a while now. Oh, you're so encouraging, right? Like, take the chance, right? Is there anything you've said? Is there anything that you've withheld saying?
And then maybe encourage you to go and share that, right? Because here's, here's the promise. That'll be fresh water, not just to others. You know what fresh water feels like within us? It feels like nourishment, right? And that's what we've been saying, is that all of these commandments are actually rules for the liberated life. You want to go free? Start using your words in that kind of way, and there'll be such freedom there. What we do 